living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, the ninth chapter of Hebrews. And I want to talk to you, and the writer of Hebrews is going to talk to you about a subject that every one of us have some experience with. This is not theoretical, this is not distant, this is not way off somewhere. It's something that you and I experience, and it has to do with this thing of conscience. I remember, uh, I don't remember much about studying literature when I was in, in, in high school, junior high school, but there was one story we were forced to read, and it was called The Telltale Heart. Do you remember that one? Maybe they don't want to traumatize children by reading it in, in school anymore. I don't know. It's a little bit, it's a little bit sinister, a little bit kind of mind-bending, that sort of thing. And the things that uh, Poe wrote sort of were that way. But it tells the story from the first person of a man who thought he had committed the perfect crime. He had, he had murdered someone and hidden the body in such a way there was no evidence. And he just he thought he got away with it. And then there's a knock at the door and... Three policemen show up and say, a neighbor heard this scream and they called the police to check it out. He said, oh, that was just me waking up from a nightmare, nothing to worry about. Check the whole house. So they check the whole house and he sits down with the three officers in the room where the murder was committed because he thinks he's pulled this off. Then suddenly he starts hearing this noise. Now the man was dead and was buried under the, was hidden under the floorboards of the house. I'm, if this gives you nightmares, I'm sorry. But then he starts hearing this, this thump of a heartbeat. And uh, there was no heart beating, but it was in his own mind, his own heart. And he, he pictures that as his own conscience getting to the point. And suddenly in his mind, the beating of this heart in his ears and his mind got so loud, he just confesses everything to relieve that guilty conscience. Well, you know what? There's not much that we can actually do to relieve a guilty conscience. In fact, in this chapter where... Actually, this whole multi-chapter section where the writer of Hebrews is telling us that, that Jesus is the greatest of all. He is better than anything. And now he's in a section where the new covenant is pictured as better than the old covenant. And you and I should every once in a while just stop and think, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we're under this new covenant. That we have the finished work of Christ. And even as we just sung a moment ago, that his goodness is running after us. He's pursuing us. And we just, just should bask in the joy of the goodness of our God. So we just want to look about this. What, what is the path to having a, a cleansed and free conscience before God? We start with that, that basic idea. And you know, the world doesn't have much to offer us in this. And conscience is part of what God built into us when he created us in his image. Uh, animals just do what animals do, Okay. Uh, but humans have a moral component, a moral a capacity to understand morality. And everybody has some standard of morality, even those that are way off bar mark in a sort of a biblical standard of that. You know, you hear people say, oh, do whatever you want. Do, you know, there should be no laws, no restraint, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Well, there you've just inserted a moral standard, even though that's not the exact level of a moral standard. But there are some things that every one of us view are either right or wrong. 
and that's built into us. And when we know that we have violated even our own standard of morality, let alone violating God's perfect, unattainable standard of righteousness, then we're struck of heart. Whether it's the child getting into the mom's cookie jar when he didn't have permission, or it's you and I involved in a little more sophisticated breaches of said standards and morality, we're struck of heart. And you know, that which is on the inside sometimes lingers and haunts us. And sometimes we hear the, the beating heart throb of our own failure before God. So he mentions the, this thing of conscience. He mentions it in verse 9 of this chapter. He mentions it in, in chapter, uh, in verse 14. He mentions it twice in chapter 10. And mentions conscience again in the last few verses in chapter 13. So this is going to be a theme that's going to sort of flow forward in the book. But first of all, we understand this. If we're going to understand how, what is this path for having a, a, a free conscience? First of all, let's see what it isn't, okay? First of all, it does not come by human effort. Human effort is always and ever insufficient. So we live in a world where what do people do with their conscience when it's bothered? Well, blame somebody else. How about that? Let's just all get together. We'll just blame somebody else for our problems. It's not my fault. It's theirs. Well, even if that could be done, question, what are they supposed to do with the blame I've shifted to them? Who do they shift it to? And then they shift it to somebody else. And who are they going to shift it to? I mean, does that solve the problem? In fact, I don't think that ever completely solves the problem. Now, we have to have a proper recognition. Sometimes we take blame for things that we shouldn't take blame for. I understand all that. But uh, in a real sense, that doesn't work. Or just let's just forget about it. If I can just so fill my life with success or fill my life with things that dull my senses or fill my life with activities or fill my life with noble pursuits, then I just don't have to think about this conscience of heart. It doesn't work that way. Pick it up in verse 6. He says here, Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Now in verses 1 through 5 that we looked at last week, he talks about the arrangement of the things that were in the Holy of Holies. Okay, Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim, pot of manna, tablets of stone, a rod that had budded supernaturally. All those things we talked about. I don't want to repeat that. Now he's going to talk about the service that went on, the activities that went, in, went on in this said sanctuary. And he talks about the priest went into this first part. That would be, remember we talked about rectangle, cut the rectangle in half so you have a square part and a rectangle part. The rectangle part is the holy place. The square part is the holy of holies. We talked about it last time. So daily, priests got to go into that holy place. And they did their thing there. Verse 7. But into the second part... The high priest went alone once a year, not without blood. That once a year is the Day of Atonement. It's known in modern terminology in the Hebrew as Yom Kippur. That will take place at sundown next Sunday on the, on the calendar of which that is operated on. So sundown next Sunday becomes Yom Kippur goes uh, through the following sundown on Monday. So it's in this time of year. But do you remember what we talked about? He would go in with blood and all, sprinkle on the mercy seat. If you didn't get last week, I would encourage you to go back and give it a listen. It would be worth your time. Once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. There was other provisions, other sacrifices when it was a willful sin, just something that happened you didn't know about, didn't mean to do it. This was covering that. Okay? But notice... It was insufficient. Why? Because it had to be repeated. Once a year, every year, next year, 
following year, additional year, all the years. If it were sufficient, once for all would have been sufficient. And also, he offered for himself and for the people's sins. This mediator was going in as a sinner like all the people that were sinners that he was representing. He was no different, no better, no in a different place. He just had a different task. It was, sins, it was insufficient because it had to be repeated. Verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. In other words, this was not the permanent solution. Men doing stuff is not the solution. Even men doing spiritual things was not the solution. Even men doing what God told them to do was not the solution. Basically, the whole Old Testament was telling us there's something more, and that's what he mentions in verse 9. It was symbolic. Interestingly, the Greek word that's translated symbolic is the Greek word parabole. It's the word we get our English word parable from. This was the story, this was the symbol to talk about something else. All of that was to tell us that this is insufficient and we better be, you better be, all mankind had better be looking for something better to come. It's not the real article. In fact, this whole passage, we're not going to get near this far, but if you want to just glance down and have a little, a little spoiler here, look at verse 24, chapter 9, verse 24. This is sort of the, this is sort of the pinnacle of this whole argument. And not that he, as verse 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, that earthly tabernacle, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. This is just an earthly representation of a heavenly service performed by us, for us by Christ. And then lastly, it's external, verse 10. Concerning only with foods, drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So it's external. Now, go back and look at verse, uh, the, the beginning of this verse, or excuse me, verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. Why? Because it was just an outward expression. It's what we do outwardly. But look at that phrase in verse 9 one more time. Who performed the service, per, excuse me, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. This does nothing for the inside, except temporarily, except symbolically, and except externally. All of this is arranged so something better is coming. The fact of the matter is, and this is what I really want to get to, is what we begin in verse 11. Something far better has happened, something far better has occurred, someone far better has come, and you and I live in a whole different level of status. We live in this place where we have come to understand that it is finished. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, I'm just going to pause for a moment, and I want to just ask you, how should we, how should we feel about that? You know, God made us people with feelings, and in some ways our conscience is attached to our feelings. How should we feel about the fact that Everything we can do is insufficient, but that is not where the story ends. Well, first of all, we should stop trying to do things on our own effort. Sometimes we should just come back to this, Lord, I appreciate feeling. I appreciate what you've done for me. I appreciate, I recognize the value of what you've accomplished for me. I recognize the significance of what you have done for me. And I should give up any possible effort that I think that I can somehow 
make my status better with you through my own efforts. Particularly in regard if someone needs salvation, that's the one thing that has to be deconstructed in their thinking. That I believe that I can be good enough to earn God's favor, or I have to do certain things. Or if I could just temporarily kind of clean myself up or make some progress, that was the Old Testament experience in some ways. Because it doesn't last. Yesterday, my big goal on a sunny Friday, Saturday morning was to wash my car. And I get out, and I got the sweeper, and I'm all sweeping. Actually, when we got up that morning, my wife says, have you noticed that the, the, the water pressure is really, really low? And uh, so I just kind of filed that away. And I'm out there, and I'm sweeping the car out. And I'm like, okay, okay, now I'm ready to wash the outside. And my wife says, the water is completely off. Well, that kind of ruined my plans. Because when it comes to washing my car, I'm not cheap, but I am frugal, okay? I'm going to get the soap and the mop and do it myself. So I decided I went over to the car wash place, spent 20 bucks on the deluxe car wash to go through with all the flashing light and all the soap and all that sort of thing. Right? And we go through, and the car comes out clean. And you know how it is when you wash a car? You drive along, oop, there's a mud hole. We go, oh, we want to get around that. Don't want to splash through that. Oh, I don't want to park under those lines. That's where the birds are. Let's go over here and park. And we're real cautious because we've got it all cleaned up. Question, how long does that last? It's a temporary thing, right? It's a temporary thing. It doesn't last. All this stuff in the Old Testament is a temporary thing. If you do something to kind of make your conscience feel better because I'm going to make up for it, I'm going to do something different, I'm going to do something better, it's temporary at best. Friends, have some appreciation for the fact that God has done something permanent, not temporary. Lasting, not is going to fade. A complete and total cleansing. You want to have a clear conscience? You want to have a cleansed conscience? You've got to come back to what he talks about at Jesus beginning in verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. This is a heavenly transaction. We have a person who has gone to a better place. It does come through Christ's effort, not through human effort, and it starts in a better place. You ever think about this? Everything on this earth is not permanent. All the actions, all the things we build, all the things we accomplish. Now the souls of mankind are permanent, I understand that. But all the things that we can relate to with our senses is, is very non-permanent. It fades. But he's in this permanent place. Look at verse 12. He comes with a greater sacrifice. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he carried his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies for the purity of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? It is through his blood. There's some people that kind of feel like that's, why would God do that? Why would God require that? Well, I can't answer that question in full, but I do know this. The scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, said the only thing that remedies sin is the shedding of blood. Shedding of blood that results in death. And that's exactly what occurred on the cross. All we need to do, friends, to have this conscience cleansed that changes us on the inside, that helps us refresh our understanding of who we are, we come back to re realize this. It requires bloodshed, and blood has been shed. Not the blood of, blood of calves, not the blood of goats, but of the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
That's where we go to deal with our conscience. That's where we go with the understanding of our sin. That's where we go because we have a greater person, a greater place, a greater sacrifice. Thirdly, a greater person in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an old hymn that I remember singing as a kid. Most of you know it has a chorus like this. What can, maybe, you can, maybe you can finish it. If you know the song, you can give me the second line, all right? What can wash away my sin? You know it. And it's true. Nothing. Zero. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The good news for you, the good news for me, the good news for us, that blood has been shed. It has been shed. So what do we do with this conscience? He mentions it now in the end of verse, I stopped short in verse 14. Let me read the whole verse again. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, he was a sinless person, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How do we have a conscience that is cleansed and have a conscience that's free before God? And when we all sense that, we all feel that, it is that, that throbbing call of, of the internal reality of our moral failure, of our sinfulness. What do we do? Maybe we should just keep asking the question. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. We come running back to that. We get our eyes off of all of our efforts. We get our eyes off of our sin. We get our eyes off of our past. We get our eyes off of our, our, our baggage. We get our eyes off of our track record of the past, which is ugly at best. And we keep our eyes on him. Jesus was not the only one who was crucified on Calvary's hill that day. There were two thieves, one on either side. He was in the middle. One rejected him and insulted him, and the other one, in this amazing reality, looks at Jesus. He looks at Jesus on the cross. Talk about faith, man. This is it. He looks at Jesus, crown of thorns digging into his brow, the blood trickling down his face, hands pierced with, with nails onto the cross beam, his feet nailed, beaten and battered, spit upon, abandoned, rejected and condemned. And he looks at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Amazing that he would have that kind of faith. And Jesus looks at him and says this. Today you will be with me in paradise. What did that guy do? He looked at Jesus as his blood was being shed. The dying sinner looked at him and found salvation. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Christ, or you maybe you say, I don't really quite get what that means. You, you Christians throw, away all, throw around all this jargon about getting saved, getting born again, getting converted, whatever term you want to use. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I mean, I'm trying to live my best life. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to do religious things. I'm trying to, you know, run myself through the, through the, through the earthly car wash every once in a while and get all cleaned up and polished and get some wax on me and look good and move forward. But you've got to admit it doesn't last, does it? You have to admit, if you honest your heart, does that do anything to really take away that conscience, that guilt? Here's the reality. A clear conscience, a free conscience before God does come through Christ because he sacrificed in a better place and offered his blood in a better place, heavenly. He, he, he gave, gave a greater, greater sacrifice, his blood, not the blood of animals, and it was a greater person. And, and, and brother, sister in Christ... Every once in a while, and I, and I understand. Have you, have you noticed Hebrews is getting a little bit repetitive? 
the same argument is kind of twisting around, kind of overwoven in sort of this, this helix of, of truth kind of wrapped together. One of the reasons he repeats it is so you won't forget it. One of the reasons he repeats it is so you really will pay attention. And he wanted these people who, as we talked to describe last week, felt like they were hanging by a thread in their faith. He wanted them to hang on and tighten their grip and get a reality that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. Verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. And those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Eternal salvation, a cleansed conscience. He's mentioned conscience twice in this, these few verses. So how should we respond? Well, first of all, how should we express this? You should express it by saying thank you. If someone does something nice for you, you say thank you, right? Someone does something nice for you, you, you express that appreciation in words. We've already done it in our words of singing this morning. I hope you're doing it with words as you would think to the Lord in your own heart right now. Has it been a while since you just said, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul? Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you that your blood does cleanse sin. Thank you that, as he says in this text, that I have this redemption of the transgressions from under the first covenant. I receive this promise of an eternal inheritance. An eternal inheritance. I don't know what the biggest inheritance anyone could imagine of, of you know, you, you receiving in life. And I was reading a, a, a list the other day, it just came up in my newsfeed about the four richest women in the world. And it named them. Three of the four were heiresses. That's not a word I say very often. But they inherited their wealth from family. All of them in the multi-billion dollar range. But you know what? Someday they're going to die and they're going to leave their billions to somebody else. It doesn't last. This is an eternal inheritance. Never to be taken away. Say thank you. And lastly, what should we do? What should we do? We should serve and believe. We've given you a way to serve over these next three weeks to give an extra gift over and above what we'd normally give to the church which goes to all of our missionaries around the world and to support the work here in our local community, our church ministry here. But find some way to serve. Do you ever think about this? Every day it should just sort of flash through our minds that today I'm here on this planet to serve God. Why? Because I can have a clear conscience before him. My sins are gone because it's under the blood. I've been saved. I'm one of his children. And if that's not you, if you haven't, don't have that relationship, what should you do? You should simply believe. 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 I heard a story of a, this is back in the days of tent revivals, and this, this little boy shows up while the, the, the traveling evangelist was pulling the pegs out of the ground and pull, the tent was being folded up, and the little boy comes up and says to him, I said, Preacher, I, I know you're, 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 you're getting ready to leave, but I want to ask you a question. What do I need to, be, what do, I need to do to be saved? And the revivalist said to him, I'm sorry, son, you're too late. The boy was kind of shocked. He says, you mean, you mean it's too late because it's over? He said, no, it's too late because there's nothing you have to do to be saved. All you have to do is believe, like that dying sinner on the cross, like that one who just looked at Jesus on the cross and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's what you need to do. We'd love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to walk with you as you take a step of faith into a, a new relationship with the Lord, a new covenant, a new promise, a, a future inheritance, 
and a conscience that can be clean and cleansed. You have something troubling your conscience today? Appreciate what God's done for you. Express that appreciation and thankfulness. Do something in return for that by serving Him and believing Him. But let all those things take us back to Him. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What has washed away our sins? Only the blood of Jesus. May that thought refresh us and help us when we struggle with the issues of our conscience. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.